Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. We are in the eye of the octagonal storm with seven games behind us and seven games still to come. Today, we'll be taking a temperature check of the Stars and Stripes campaign to date, as well as discussing some of Greg Berhalter's hard-to-understand selection choices, or at least harder to understand. The K. Colosso USMNT Hour begins right now. Hey, everyone, make sure you check out our full Jamaica versus USA preview available wherever you get your podcasts. And for those of you who need to see our beautiful faces, it's always free and available on the K. Golasso YouTube channel. And if you're watching this live on YouTube, I can't emphasize this enough, everyone. Hit that like button. Smash it. Smack it. Also, we want to hear from you, so get in the comments section. Share your thoughts. Ask a question. Get things off your chest. Our producer will throw them up on the screen, or at least the best ones or hot takes. We get into those as well, and we'll make sure that we engage with those. And some of you that are listening to this in podcast form, that's nice. You know what's even nicer? Subscribing to the Kegel Also Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and take a minute to leave us a glowing rating and a review. Life hack. You can do that now while you listen. It doesn't take any time. It's free. Being nice is free, Jimmy. I don't know if you knew that. Are you, did you know that being nice is free? Saying nice things to people on the internet is free? Yeah, but that doesn't get you any traction. If you want the clicks... If you want the engagement, you got to be negative. Okay, that's here we what, go. That's what I've learned. Give us five stars and then throw a, 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 some heat <laughs> at us. But you got to give us the five stars, you know, to yeah, engage. Yeah. If you want, put it in all caps. Put it in all ca- caps or something. Yeah, I will say I, though. I really, I really love these guys. These guys are the yeah. best. You know, <laughs> the U.S. men's national team. I can't get enough of them. But put it in all caps, so you know it. It uh, gets. And by the way. Out. Jimmy, on our CTA, I talked about if you're listening to this in, in podcast form, they don't get to see your what would we call that hat? Does it have does a hat like that have a type of name? It like looks mad, like like a mad hatter hat. Like yeah, a, mad hatter uh, hat. Yeah, but it's in the red, white, and blue stars and stripes. Yeah, I kind of feel like I got Rocky Balboa vibes when I wear this thing. But okay. uh, I don't see it. I don't to, see it. But I okay, whatever well, whatever it, makes you happy. What kind of matches the shorts that he was wearing when he? Oh yeah, there we go. Three. I see that okay. now. Now you now okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, you so, got so me on that's kind of where where I am with this hat. It's uh, it's relatively comfortable. Uh, yeah. it's obscene, and I'm here because I've caught the fever, baby. You know, yeah. I am in the Dosisero fever. I'm in the bubble, and not that I was never all in on the U.S. men's national team, but it just feels good that everybody else seems to be. As oh, well. dude, Jimmy, I gotta tell you right off the top. Forty three Martin says USA overrated. Now. I'm not going to so, bite wait, on that. Wait, is that a Mexico fan? I can't. Yeah. Is that? It's yeah. Uh, USA overrated. Now, listen, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to bite on the comment itself, but do it. The do meat it. within that, Jimmy, do you think that the U S has a, like, are we, it's hard when you get into a, a dose of Sarah, right? Cause you get caught up in the emotion. I go back to the nation's league final. And I remember having a conversation about it where the U S didn't play well in the nation's league final for the most part. But for you and I, as having been in those Mexico games, you get caught up in the emotion of what that means to beat Mexico, especially when Mexico goes up first minute and to claw and fight your way back. You just feel like, wow, this is a huge win. And then when you add 2018 and all this burden of being a a, a fan of the U.S. men's national team in the U.S., 
where you felt like people, you, you lost a lot of respect, even from the casual fan that were like, yeah, but they don't even qualify. Uh, at least Kevin, by the way, is saying the U.S. men's national team is greater than uh, L3. But do you think that there is a bit of like, is this team better than, than they were in the summer? You know, we've talked about the fact that they haven't really played great through most of qualifying for large periods. You know, there have been moments in second half, second half team. But do you think the U.S. men's national team is overrated based on the points they have now? Or, uh, you know, and, and I guess we have to define overrated. But Overrated. Um, okay, let's define overrated because we're talking about the European champions, Italy, mm-hmm. who backs are up against the wall to even qualify for this World Cup. They missed out on 2018 as well. So it's not like – I think you go through spells of being overrated and not. And Italy has to go to Northern Ireland and basically get a draw – but Switzerland apparently have done the business. I'm talking in real time right now. Yeah. That that as it stands right now, Switzerland would go through and qualify automatically, and Italy would have to go into the playoff. When they went into the playoff in 2018, they lost to Sweden over two legs. Everybody goes through an overrated stage with a national team or a club at some point. Are we overrated? I guess it depends on who you're asking. I, I For me, we definitely play better than we did in the summer, 100%. And I, and I think that's because more of these players are getting to play with each other more. More of these players are gaining confidence within the system that Greg has set up. And we're getting more and more reps with each other in high-pressure situations. I hope that our team comes out of that doing better. But that is if an infrastructure and a plan is in place. We could look at Jamaica. Let's just use them because they're our opponents tomorrow. Jamaica have so much talent. But if there's not a plan in place to make it happen, like they got Mikel Antonio, let's use him as an example. You get some of these UK-based guys to come play for Jamaica. Why are they being brought into the team in World Cup qualifying? What about the year before that when you could actually have that time to assimilate your domestic players with the players that play overseas? They didn't have that window, and now they're trying to cram it all together and hoping for the best. Like, well, we have world-class players. Why can't they just figure it out? Because it's not that goddamn easy. And so... When you have the summer that we did and we had the luxury of two significant tournaments and playing all the way through to the end, it gives us more reps with our player pool and gets us an opportunity to, to know who we can trust. Miles Robinson comes out of that, right? He's a, he's a great example of that. Anthony Robinson comes in and really makes the left back position his own. Uh, we see Matt Turner now actually competing and pushing Zach Steffen to have to be even better. And Ricardo Pepe, right? He comes out of nowhere and, and you have all these situations that it gives us an opportunity to, to, to really test our our talent pool. And I think we're lucky that way. Now we can take advantage of that as our guys get into it. Overrated, underrated. God, I feel like that, that line moves a lot, but yeah, if, if you're a bitter fan, and you don't like the U S then your agenda has already been set and yeah. you're going to sk- that. You're always going to feel like you, you're going to find a reason not like, not to like, you well, th- th- this is interesting for me because, and, and just, for, uh, you know, we'll get into some roster updates and stuff, but when we talk about overrated, underrated, you also have to add Greg Berhalter to this conversation. And I'm not a Greg Berhalter sympathizer. You know, you and I talk about this all the time. The way in which he was hired didn't feel very good, especially how long it took to hire him. Some of the roster decisions he made early on, some of the roster decisions he's made lately in terms of uh, changing or rotating his squad. I know people are very critical of certain players that get called in. But when you beat Mexico three times in a calendar year, and all three of them are not friendlies, they are for something. They are for points. They are for a trophy. That is worth something in my book. And overrated, underrated, whatever, as you said. But to do that, I think, is really powerful and really important to acknowledge that as a as a, an achievement that is very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to whether you thought they played well or not, whether you know we had to claw our way back in the Nations League when we had to you know 
didn't really have much in the Gold Cup final and had to take it to the end to, to beat them, or 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 you kind of leave it to 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 this game uh, for quite a while just to be lucky to be up at halftime. You can break down all these moments, like you said. If you've already got it made up in your mind, you're going to be like, yeah, but the U.S. wasn't good in the Nations League final. Mexico should have beat them. Mexico should have won the Gold Cup final. Mexico should have had this one because they had two big chances in the mm-hmm, first half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you and I both know when you're on the field, none of that means anything. Yeah, you feel a bit lucky at times when you get away with a, a chance or they don't finish or punish you. But when you get out of those things, it builds something. It builds character. It builds a team, a cohesion, and all these things you get out of that. So I just want to give a little bit of a shout-out to this team to do that in a year. Uh, Overrated or underrated, you could look at all the players and say, yeah, but they should do it in more fashion or more style and more whatever. Um, I want to know from everybody as well in the comments, yes, if you think the U.S. men's national team is overrated, and if you don't, Throw that in there. We're going to make Des count them all. So if you want to spam them, that'll be fine. Uh, and we'll make them count them all up and see what people think. But, you know, I think it's a little bit of a loaded question uh, for sure. But I certainly think uh, if, if you don't have any sort of over, under, and then something in the middle, it's it's hard to answer that appropriately. But I want to know everyone's thoughts. I'll jump in and say really quickly that when I played on the 2006 World Cup team, that's my flex of the day. Yeah, cheesy Luis to me. What are we? Eight, let me hold on. The counter is eight minutes and 40 seconds in. We've now talked about ourselves playing against Mexico, and you've talked about yourself in a World Cup. We are on a, we're on a hot streak today. I, I just want to state, <laughs> for the record, that <laughs> when we were in, in, leading up to that World Cup, we were ranked number three in the world by FIFA rankings. Now, whatever you think about FIFA rankings. That was still- an insane period, though, when it went from like nine to seven to three, and you're like, whoa, what's happening? Yeah, yeah. I was on the team. I was like, ah, I think I think we're overrated. And I was on the team. You know, like but you when can't... we broke the top 10 for that first time, though, that was an incredible moment. It was. Though, to be fair. Three is it something was. different, but 10 and, is. And, and it also, I think, set some unrealistic expectations on the group and what we were supposed to go do. We were supposed to build off of the quarterfinal run that happened in 2002, which felt a little unfair because we happened to hit a familiar opponent in Mexico in the round of 16. We actually played our best game against Germany and lost. And for about 10 minutes of that last game when we got smoked by Poland, we weren't going to go through to the next round. So we had a lot of fine margins of success Mm -hmm. and failure at the highest of levels. And it just, it was tough. Now, it is what it is, right? That that's come and gone. But at your point, it did allow us to start to set and maybe hold each other accountable. Like, hey, we are capable of being this type of team. And that's important. So now to tie that back into this current team, because we won the Nations League, to your point, we didn't play great. Mexico maybe deserved to win that one. Okay, you still have to make the plays, though, to finish that off. Didn't yep. do it. Same thing in the Gold Cup final. And now in this other game, we've actually gotten progressively better against Mexico over these three games. And I think that speaks a lot towards the group because it's kind of a mesh between the Gold Cup team and the Nations League team. And the future's bright. I mean, whether you want to accept it or not, our team is pretty good. And if you're another team, I don't know, or another nation... Do you want to draw the U.S. in your group? I'm not so sure that you do because you know that we started to regain some of that identity that I think we lost a little bit over the over the over some time was that that fighting and scratching and doing whatever is necessary to win a game. And I think we're starting to find that right balance of players that can obviously get the ball on the ground and create and do things some special things, both collectively and individually, and also be willing to fight and scrap and get after it. Now, I don't know if we're going to be into the Chaka Rodriguez eye gouging, but, you know, That's kind of where Mexico is right now. Almost a microcosm of what they have to resort to to try to get results where we're trying to play and kick your ass in as much in a fair way as possible. I do want to say that you're right in that the U.S. has gotten progressively better uh, through in these games. And I think that's hard to deny. 
And then we're seeing more cohesion from the team, better players stepping up. Again, you go back eight months ago, and there was no Ricardo Pepe. There was not really Yunus Musa yet. You know, Yunus Musa, I think, was just Nations League and 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 what didn't really find his form until until qualifying in his last, and that was the last round where you're like, wow, look at this guy. This guy is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but now when I think about the way other national teams would play against them and the different strengths and tools that we have, the ability to beat this team in a number of positions, the only thing that I think is missing is a little bit of that that hatred, a little bit of that meanness. You know, I think the fight, the effort is there. And when I'm thinking about being very, very hard to play against and, and not necessarily eye gouging, but a little bit of that killer instinct, a little bit being teams being afraid uh, to play you. And by the way, uh, I can't I can't remember who, who had just said it, but the, he's I think it was David. His, his name was said that he tells his girlfriend that we always find a way to bring up uh, us playing on the national team. Obviously, obviously, that's the whole point of this. This is the USM MNT hour. This US men's national team hour. We have to talk about that because Plus, a lot of people out there spitting a lot of fire that have never been in in the trenches and we got at least we have that to lean on when we say when we say something yeah yeah and also we played for the team and we played in some big games and we wear ridiculous hats while we're on youtube yeah i mean what do you want what else do you want from us uh so yeah i think that 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 level of insight i think i hope separates us a little bit but we do have a lot of fun and obviously there's a lot of smart people out there you don't have to have played the game to to understand it we we definitely respect that and there's some really good takes out there but there's some that are so overly emotional that need to be based in reality a smidge and maybe maybe not taken as far as it's been taken but i did see a good point about how greg berhalter has come in and and set up a a good system Mm -hmm. and put put something in place right some parameters some some shape to how we're going to make this moving forward do i still feel like at times he's flying by the seat of his pants 1,000% 1,000% to sometimes he get into his way. Did you see that starting lineup against Panama? I mean, yes, 1,000%. Even in Honduras, yeah. away to Honduras that first half, he didn't get it right. But he makes adjustments to his credit. He, he It's almost like he raises his hand, looks at himself in the mirror going, yeah, we got that wrong, dude. Let's get this yeah. sorted out. You know who also over tinkers? The best manager in the world in Pep Guardiola. And 100%. so I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with tinkering if you, know, if you learn from that tinkering. If you always get it wrong, well, Pep in the Champions League final is <laughs> probably wants that back. But... Guys, if you're just tuning in, make sure you like, subscribe, throw those comments in to us as well so we can get you guys onto the show. Our producer, Dez, will throw those up. Jimmy, let's talk a little bit about the fact that Joe Scally is not going to start. Did you? I'm surprised by this one again because, uh, I, I mean, well, let, let me give you a take real quick and then, and, then, and then follow up on this. Okay. I'm surprised only because of the fact that you could have done this last camp. You could have had him in for three games last camp where he's just with the team, integrate him into the squad, let him get some experience. So that he comes back, maybe you put him in 10, 15 minutes. If you have the right circumstances or opportunity in one of those three games, which, you know, I, I think that the, your, your, your final home game, you would have. You're playing against, or your game against uh, Jamaica, you could have gotten him in. And then you come back into this camp and you can start to trust him a little bit differently mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than you did. Well, now you've got this, this streak. You've got good players. You don't need to change DeAndre Yedlin. I agree with all that, but I'm almost, it almost makes me more mad that he wasn't called into the last camp. Yeah, that's where my point would be, that that was the opportunity to bring him in and get him seasoned with the team and to understand how it's going to work and to watch how others are going to prepare for a big game against uh, a rival. You know, I think uh, we talked about a previous experience with me when I got called into my first camp and I watched Eddie Pope do his thing and prepare in a tiny, tiny locker room and everybody's trying to get ready and there's people banging on the ceiling and it's just noise. And like, how do you focus and make sure you're going out there and doing your job? It was very informative for me and, and, and important in my growth as a national team player. And I think Joe Scally, I think that the hang up to your point is that we should have done that the, the window before. 
and, and he might have actually been useful. Maybe he even gets in against Panama because everybody was getting a chance to play against Panama. So, so we missed an opportunity there. And I think maybe even Greg would acknowledge that. Maybe not exactly right now, but down the line in a couple of months when things that the you know spotlight's not burning as bright as it is. Yeah. Has anybody? I'm, not, I'm, I'm okay with Yedlin starting again. I thought he was good, and I want to continue to build those relationships with consecutive games. We have this rare opportunity. The next two qualifying windows are three games in eight days again, and you're going to get that rotating of the squad, and it just throws off any type of momentum we can build with a specific group. We've seen it in midfield, right, to the point that was made earlier in the comments, and 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 I feel like now that we have the midfield, and obviously McKinney's out because of yellow card accumulation, we'll get into who we think should start there, but that that has been helpful for us, and we can see that's the engine. Now, to Pablo's point, why are we in such a rush to start Joe Scally? It's less about starting him. It's more just about, do we think we can trust him? Can we give him some minutes and see if he can hang? Now, of course, he's done it in the Bundesliga. He's done it against Bayern Munich. That's great. Representing your national team is just different. And so we've seen players who are okay at the club level. They get a shot with a national team, and they just play differently. And then we've seen opposites, where we've seen really good club players not play so great for their national team. We need to figure out which version of Joe Scally we're going to get. And the only way we know that is not in training, but in real games. Yeah. Now there's a friendly against Bosnia that's coming up in December. Great opportunity to potentially bring is in. Is that a fixture window? Scali. I don't a, know. I don't yeah. think it's a fixture window, which, yeah. which hurts, but, but if it, if it is maybe the European playoffs or the, the, the calf, the African playoffs are going on. Maybe that's a time we can bring Joe Scali in and give him a look. But I think it's important also for Greg to see what he's about in training around the guys. Like there's all these little things. So yeah, I think he needs minutes for us to really properly evaluate if he's somebody we can trust in big moments. Yeah, and to to give my take to, to Pablo's question there, and I want everybody else's take as well. So if, if, if you guys are, Joe Scali should be getting his minutes, not saying starting, whatever, let us know uh, in the comments. I'm very curious about that because it is a hot topic. He's got the most minutes of any of our players in Europe's top five leagues, and he's young. He comes from the youth national team systems. He's obviously uh, grew up playing with Gio Reyna. He was in the NYCFC system. But then all of a sudden, he gets bought, by Gladbach, and now he's in the first team, and now he's playing, and he can play left back. He's played right back. He's played right wing, right wing back, left left wing back. Uh, he, he's got that versatility, and he's and he's young, and that's why I want to see him get get some time because you learn so much from these camps, and you learn so much from, you know. Again, Jimmy talked about the fact of he's watching Eddie Pope play those games, but what's even crazier is when you get on the field and you realize just how much quicker the game is. Even in the Bundesliga, the game, the international game is quicker. The amount of time you have the amount of space on the field, everything is just a little more chaotic and you don't know it until you've lived in it. I think getting valuable experience for a player like that, who's obviously proven to a coach as a teenager that he should be playing every single game in the Bundesliga in multiple positions, that he can play for our national team. And then you, like Jimmy said, you get the version of him. And not only that, Jimmy, my worry with this kind of thing is we saw this with Conrad when he was young. We saw this with Me? Uh, Musa. <laughs> oh, yeah. Conrad, Con, Con, uh, uh, are you talking about Conradinho? Con, you're, yeah, you're Conradinho. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, a, you're a 10. He's, a, he's, he's not. Um, but we saw that with him. We saw it with a number of guys that get called in right away, and you're like, mm, not quite there yet, right? You get them on the field. The game's a little bit too pacey. They're sort of looking for themselves. Daryl DK was another one that I wasn't super impressed with the first few times. Just looked off the pace. Mm-hmm. And then you want to keep going with them. Or, or you say, okay, let's give them a break. Give them a breather off one camp and you bring them back in. But you don't know until you put them into that place to see how they react to the international game and how they, how they react to the group. And like you said, in a triple fixture date, you're changing all these things. It's really hard to put a player like that in a position to be successful if there's all these random players who also haven't been playing consistently together. When you change one or two things, perfect chance to put a guy in because 
The game is predictable. There's other players that are on the same page, and I know there was a number of changes in that back line, but it seemed mm-hmm. like a better chance. And then this Jamaica one as well. Anyways, we don't have to talk too much about, about Joe Scally, and I missed those last comments. Um, Dez, well, mainly if, if about wanna... uh, DeAndre Yedlin's performance. Somebody said that he was the best he's performed in a U.S. shirt, and I think we could argue that he was steady, right? That's kind of what you want. You don't want a really hot or really cold DeAndre Yedlin especially in the same 90 minutes, you want yeah. a nice steady performance from your back line, disciplined performance from, from everybody in your back line. And I think we got that, especially in the yeah. second half from the group. I was really impressed with the team shape and, and in the cover and balance ultimately yeah. from a defensive perspective. And Yedlin was a big reason as to why they were accomplishing that. And he just basically then furthered it by saying that we shouldn't make too many changes. If we're critical of, of these performances, I'm paraphrasing now, mm-hmm. then, then if we have a chance to kind of build off of something that's positive, we should stick with it. And I'm the same. I only have the only two changes I would make are actually the two changes that are, that were forced to make yeah. with Weston McKinney. And, and there's some talk now, Greg, I guess, came out in his press conference and said that it's either going to be Busio or Legette or Acosta. Mm-hmm. That are going to start. Zach Steffen hey, will start hey, in this one. Hey, he listens to the podcast. We already talked about that. I know. You know we talked I know. About Mark, that in our Mark, preview. You know what I mean? I know, they got to pay attention. Oh, Mark McKenzie one's the only one, but I think Chris Richards got to go in terms of just minutes played. Mark obviously good in these kind of fire drill situations, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I would only go with those two changes, and then Zach also earning himself a second start. You know, it, it's funny, and I don't really read all the snippets that are being cut off. Uh, into uh by the way italy are going to the playoff uh for anybody who's watching international uh the international game or not watching and is curious about uh, the world cup qualifying adventures uh italy are now going to the playoff so we got second uh, behind switzerland yeah. dude listen they missed a penalty in each of their games against switzerland mm-hmm. or excuse me one against switzerland and then home against bulgaria and they just shot themselves in the foot which just seems kind of kind of italian-esque <laughs> But yeah. now they go in the playoff, man. I mean, you never know. And over two legs, they lost to Sweden last time around. So it's not just us that that yeah. has all this drama surrounding their team. And now I, I assume people might want Mancini fired, even though he just won the Euros, which is how extreme and emotional this sport can get around the world, which I'm, I'm here for. I love it. Yeah. And and by the way, so the Zach Steffen and, and Matt Turner discussion is, mm-hmm. is an interesting one, right? Because they're very different types of players. And we have that all over the field. But when you have goalkeepers... Matt Turner never lost the starting job based on his performance, right? It's just mm-hmm. we've now moved into a, a situation where uh, where I think the team has played poorly for long periods of World Cup qualifying. And to have a goalkeeper that you know at times where, you know what it's like, Jimmy, when you're chasing the ball a bunch or a team's pressing you, you give the ball away, it keeps coming, and you just keep on wanting to like, occasionally you just want that guy. And sometimes you zing it into a player who then tries something difficult. And then mm-hmm. everybody goes, keep the ball. And when you have a player like Zach Steffen, in tough moments like that, he he puts his head up. He's not afraid to try to keep the ball. And I think mm-hmm, that's a mm-hmm. calming presence for a team where when you go backwards two, three passes and a team is pressing you, it's still an opportunity to keep possession instead of everything being... We saw it with Mexico. Mexico baited us on that. But by the time we always got to them, he was, Ochoa was lumping it. And, and mm-hmm, he was lumping mm-hmm. it long. Whereas Zach Steffen picked and chose his moments to clip a ball to the sideline or, clip, or that sick ball that he played through to, to Musa. Um, slotting like slotting through like three players. And I think that calming presence at difficult times is even more important than in good times because you know that there's somebody that's not just looking to hit the ball long and be safe, which I think has its place in the game, but also right. looking to maybe uh, give the team a, a breath by by picking out the right pass or giving more options so that it's not just, hey, now we're defending again after we just worked hard to win it. Thoughts? Yeah, it's great. I, I love your insight there. 
I, I think that. But I do feel not, bad for Turner, by the way, because I do. Sucks. I feel bad but for like, Matt. You're also Matt too. like, come on. I don't know. Like I told team. you, we we I I played during an era where we had Brad Friedel and Casey Keller and Tim Howard, and it always felt like that was just a normal part of playing for the national team. That there was competition in every single spot, and we got away from that for a while because Tim Howard was so incredibly dominant that Brad Guzan couldn't really take it right. Couldn't yeah. outplay Tim enough to really put some pressure on him. Nick Raimondo. Listen, we love those guys. They're amazing human beings, but not enough to push Tim Howard out of the spot. And now we got two guys that can push each other out of the spot. And that is a good problem to have. So I'm here for it. I got plenty of time. Zach Steffen probably had his best performance in, in a U.S. shirt and making some big saves early on to keep us in it. And then it was just steady throughout. And that's what you want. Talking about the defense and the, and the goalkeeper, you just want good, steady, on, on at least from our perspective, predictable players that are going to do the work, like like doing the work. Well, When I think about Miles Robinson and, and Walker Zimmerman, and you and I were both defenders, even though I know that you moonlighted as someone that could attack. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I mean that with nothing but love. And you were good at it <laughs> at times. At I'm times, just be busting at times your balls. not. But, but... We have two center backs in Miles and Walker that I think like to defend. And I think defending's a lost art. Yeah. And the more that we can get guys to buy in of being proud of how we defend and being proud of getting a clean sheet against Mexico and making plays and, and doing everything we can to be as difficult as possible to play against, that's going to set us up for success because then we do already, we've already demonstrated we have the attacking talent. If we can just get everybody on the same page and, and you know identify those numerical advantages, hopefully more in the first half and the second half, but if we have to wait till the second half to win games, I'm okay with that too. If that's uh, part of our DNA, but yeah. it's 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 all trending in the right direction because we're starting to get more competition in more spots. Yedlin wasn't even really on the radar, honestly. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even thinking about DeAndre Yedlin moving forward. It was Dust, it was Reggie Cannon, and then By Joe the way, Scally that is comes a out of Joe Scally conversation about Reggie Cannon and others in terms of the depth charts, right? Giving right. Scally a chance to move up the depth charts if if Yedlin's your number one. By the way, uh, Ike says Stefan being able to play 30 yard balls to our wingers' feet helps eliminate 100%. teams pressing us so hard. We 100%. fully agree with that. Well, Jimmy, since you seem to know everything, let me ask you this. Mm, that's that's January, suspect. February. You know the months that go from there. But that, the beginning of the year next year, uh, when we have our next qualifiers, are during a period when obviously Matt Turner out of season. May, yes. Okay. And then Zach Steffen not getting regular minutes. What happens in that context to you? Like, what, well, does, does I, that I, change we, things? There's a well, sharpness to, to – to, I mean, I guess Zach Steffen will be in training at a high level, and that's where he's getting his reps anyway right now, but still. Well, I'll say that I suspect that Zach Steffen will get cup games, and there's a lot of FA Cup games and league – well, they're out of the League Cup. FA Cup games in January. You know, he's going to get a couple games, and you're right. They're going to have some pretty high-level trainings. It does hurt Matt Turner a little bit. I assume there'll be some January camp of some capacity, but even then, that's still glorified training. So I, I think that Zach Steffen would still be your guy because he's just been in the rotation. There's no sitting out. We don't know how far the New England Revolution are even going to go in the playoffs. They could lose in the first round. Philadelphia Union, where the Supporters Shield winners last year, had to wait 20 days because of an international break and then came back and got, and got bounced in the first round. Same thing could happen to the Revs. Feel really unfair given the season that they've had, but that's how the MLS Cup playoffs work. So, yep. yeah, I think that Zach Steffen is probably the guy i mean it's it's as greg mentioned it is the only reason that he's going with him over matt turner is because he's got better feet and that speaks to ike's point and everybody else that can see it zach can play he can he can use his feet and get us out of situations and we were still i'm still laughing at that that ball he threaded in the first Mm -hmm. half against mexico through two lines of pressure on the ground 
right up the middle. Like that is so dangerous. It's high risk, high reward. And thankfully it was high reward because if it gets cut out, we're pretty vulnerable because yeah. we spread out to support the play. And, and but I love the audacity and the courage to do so if it works, of course. And then yeah. if it doesn't, the coach is going to be right up your ass as he should be. Well, I want to know what everybody uh, that's watching this right now thinks. Give us an S for Stefan, T for Turner. Want to know kind of from your perspectives what you've seen. I mean, Turner has been fantastic for this national team. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. are we over glorifying playing out of the back or being good with your feet? Is there an actual value in the way this national team even plays other than a couple of examples a game? And is that enough to be the difference? Or do you think uh, Matt Turner, who stood on his head a few times to keep this team and keep this team getting points in World Cup qualifying, um, should that be the 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 thing that uh, H for Horvath we have in there from William Jackson Jackson? Uh, that's that's uh, that's not part of the game. You get <laughs> you get Turner or you get Stefan. Don't break that's the it. rules. That's it. But, uh, Jimmy, let's talk about Christian Pulisic. All right, super sub. Yeah. Do you think that uh, he starts against Jamaica? That's a good question. I think that he might based on the comments that Greg made once again in this press conference about, you know, feeling and kind of touch and go, seeing how Christian said It feels. comes down to a judgment call. It comes down to how we feel he can best affect the opponent. Obviously. Okay. And, then we, and then we know, and then we know that there's a coach, his day-to-day -day coach, like his, his real, Pulisic's real boss, who's like just watching it intently going like, don't, don't test me. I, I think that given that he said, we'll see how it, I don't know. That just feels like he's going to be a sub. Uh, I, I think that's a conversation that was already had between uh, the, the U.S. Do you think that's team. an actual conversation or do you think that's a tactical game playing he's playing, which is like Jamaica now have to try to figure out who our lineup is, right? And when we play with uh, Tim Weah or Brennan Aronson, it's going to be different than, you know, who we put into our midfield, whether that's Busio. It's a different style of play. Like we've got these different threats now. Do you think part of that is the tactical game playing of the media and Jamaica having to overthink how they're going to roll out, whether they press or sit, or do you think this is an actual just straight-up conversation or a little bit of both? Or all well, honestly, if I'm Jamaica and I'm the manager, Theodore Whitmore, I have to be worried about myself. I don't even know if Jamaica knows what their best 11 is. And you have to start there, buddy. I mean, you can try to prepare for us all you want, but I get the sense that Jamaica is going to try to absorb pressure and counter. When they try to play a high line, it doesn't always work for them. We did beat them 2-0 in Austin not too long ago, but we also beat him in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup, 1-0. That was a late Matthew Hoppy goal in the 83rd minute to, to secure the 1-0 there. We couldn't. We were having trouble scoring in that tournament, and uh, we're finding ways to dig it out and, again, be a second-half team. So fair play to Hoppy on that one. But I would say that they need to figure out a way to absorb the pressure and, and not break their lines. If we can wear them down, which is why I think Busio should start. He's going to be a better passer of the ball than Acosta and Leggett, and I think that he'll be able to unlock that a little bit. You could maybe ask Musa to push a little bit higher because McKinney isn't in. So, But if I'm Jamaica, I don't know if if it really changes much, whether Pulisic is running at me or if Aronson's running at me. They're both pretty good in 1v1 situations. I think Pulisic's a little bit more dynamic and, and stretching a field, not necessarily with running, but with the ball. And he's a little bit more, he can create a little bit more on his own than Aronson can, in my humble opinion. Aronson's getting closer, and and trying to break in and make his own stamp on things. And I think he's been tremendous in every game he's played for us and woke up qualifying. Didn't have as much influence in this last one. Yeah. But I think Mexico actually did a pretty good job of stacking he him had an up. Off game. He did. He didn't, but he didn't get the ball in very, very many good yeah. spaces. And usually you know, we've been very complimentary of, of him and his ability to find ways to help the team, right? Press and all those things. His energy is always fantastic. But it felt like his energy was always off a little bit of what to do and where and, and those types of things, which is uncharacteristic of him. But 
you know, considering the run of form he was on both at the club level and this, uh, I, you know, you can excuse, uh, uh, what I think was an average performance, not a bad performance by any means, but an average performance at that point. Well, I'm but glad you brought up average because average bond is saying I'd rather have Christian as a super sub and keep Aronson way and Pepe up front. I agree. There's just something about that continuity of those three. I mean, team away for sure is an automatic starter. He was tremendous and you got to give him another run out. He's building off that Costa Rica game where he scored. Obviously my man of the match, frankly, mm -hmm. against Mexico. Yeah. And I want to continue to see team away mm -hmm. as he continues to make it his own. With regard to Aronson Pulisic, I just be because Pulisic feels a little brittle right now, and because there's a lot of talk about his injury concerns, there's going to be a good time, I think, if the game opens up and stretches out. Because at some point, Jamaica needs to win this one. Getting a draw, okay, it gives them one point closer. Panama yeah, beats El Salvador, help. but it doesn't really help them. They need to go for it. And imagine bringing on a Pulisic to kind of just kill the game mm -hmm. off or go on and score the winner. And that might be, I, I honestly feel like this conversation has already been had with Christian Pulisic before these two games even kicked off. Yeah. Hey, man, you're going to be a sub for these next two. You know, but even if they sure lost, good what if they lost to Mexico? You think even then there's the yeah, pressure yeah, to change yeah. that? Well, yeah. potentially, but but because it worked out the way it did, I think you have the luxury of bringing him off the bench once again. And, and still, so you make the, the player knows you had that conversation. You keep his club happy, who are obviously paying the majority of his bills. And, and you still get to kind of keep the same group of players together to see if they can continue to build Pulisic when healthy is obviously a starter no question but but in this particular moment I would leave him on the bench and I think he's okay with that if he can come on yeah. for 30 minutes and still be the hero who wouldn't sign up for that yeah hey Jimmy there's a few people in the comments asking about this Pulisic to Barcelona situation yeah now we'll talk about it a lot uh on Wednesday when we do our sort of November recap we're gonna do a post-mortem uh Ooh, I love uh, that. on 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 the, on the month that was um and do you initially when I heard that, right, I don't and I don't think about Barcelona the way that I did. Right. I, I, I didn't think this is a great situation for Serginho Dest to be in as a developing player. But then when I thought about Pulisic's current situation versus a Barcelona situation, I was like, oh, this could be a great situation for him, you know, in terms of being able to lift that team who has no money, you know, beyond and be in, in alone <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and also playing in, in a free flowing attacking system that I think puts him in really good spots to help the team. Differently than I think Chelsea have so much depth mm -hmm. that I just don't see how Pulisic. I mean, I see how he's a starter because because when he's at his best, he is a starter at Chelsea. But that constant rotation of players, it makes me wonder. And you know, they play seventy games a year, but it makes me wonder if Bar a, a situation like a Barcelona, if not Barcelona, would be a good one for him for six months um, to help. What, what what's your just general take on that? If you, if you've given it any thought. Oh, I've given it plenty of thought. I would say that to your point about Chelsea, he does feel at times surplus goods and they're always going to be a ton of competition to play in that team. And if he's not healthy and can't stay healthy for a significant amount of time, it's going to be hard for him to find minutes and, and be relied upon in an important way. Yeah. Not to say that that wouldn't change if he went to Barcelona. Now, if he was going no, to Barcelona... No, but Chelsea can buy something every window if they want, true, right? True, and, true. And, and they've got not, three or four in his position. Like, at times, he was competing with Mason Mount for his spot. And yeah, Mason like, Mount, you got Ziyech, who kind of feels like he doesn't get played enough, and that guy's super talented. You got hudson Adoy, who's who's really trying to push in and get more minutes. You know, they're talking about potentially Timo Werner can... I mean, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner. Yeah, like yeah, they, and they all sort of, of just guys, sit up guys. top, you know, right. and, and now with, with Lukaku, Lukaku in, I, I just, you just go, okay, now there's one spot that's guaranteed up top, right? Before, there was this constant rotation. They were playing false nines and they were just sort of trying to figure it all out. Uh, and so you saw a little bit different, but now you're like, okay, now there's one spot that's gone. Um, but, uh, you if, know. If, it, like if he was going to a Barcelona team, 
that was being managed by Everton reject Ronald Koeman, <laughs> mm-hmm. then I would have some issues because it just didn't seem like the team bought into what Koeman was, or at least had, had checked out at that point about what he was uh, bringing to the table and the results reflected that. Now with Xavi in, that changes my whole perspective on Barcelona. I think Xavi's going to be an excellent coach. Yeah, I love what he's been saying, and I know that he's going to follow through because we can all see it. The guy was already a coach on the field. Now he just has to do it from the sideline. And of course, he's going to have to trust some of his players to to dictate the, the terms just like he used to. But he's got some young players that are extremely talented. So for Pulisic, who's 23 right now, to come into a Barcelona team right now and, and potentially play for them, though, I guess Chelsea might not make a move in January. But even over the summer, let's say he goes to Barcelona over the summer where they got a little bit more of their stuff together on the financial side and and Javi can start to really work the team. I like that. The problem is, at least under Koeman, Sergio Dest was playing on the right wing, and that's kind of where Pulisic plays. So that would be weird for them to compete for a spot. Imagine never a million years. Left left wing in the the pocket driving in. We got two guys that are going to be playing at Barcelona. They don't even start on our national team, Jimmy. That's how good we are. Dude, you imagine. (laughs) I never thought in a million years we could potentially have two Americans competing for our same starting spot at Barcelona. That is just, I can't believe that's escaping my lips. Anyway. Yeah, both of them are super subs on our national team, Jimmy, because we got so much depth. Those guys can't even get a game right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But but yeah. No, but I think that this would be... He'd be a great coach to learn from. Not to take anything away from Tuchel, who is very defense-focused, but I think Xavi would bring an element and an air of uh, maybe maybe getting even more out of Christian to think about different things in different situations that I think could potentially raise his game. Tuchel could raise his game from a defensive perspective. That's kind of how I see it, and being efficient with his movement. But with regard to like how to create and how to pick your spots when attacking, I think Xavi would be amazing for Christian Pulisic. And obviously to build a rapport with Serginho Dest, would be a great thing as well. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'd be all for it, frankly, especially if it was just going to be this fight and the struggle to get minutes at Chelsea. And he's just kind of, when am I going to get my turn? When am I going to get my turn? And then three years later, he's 26 and still hasn't really gotten his turn, you know? Um, so not to say Barcelona wouldn't be a fight to get minutes as well, because if Ushman Dembele gets healthy, who knows? Because he's kind of the Christian Pulisic of Barcelona. But he's being or, linked in exits too. That's like, true. You know, and you got Ansu Fati and another. It's not like it's going to be easy. There's not going to be a lot of people that want to be in at Barcelona, given their situation contractually, financially, knowing that it's going to be a rebuild. I think it's great for Xavi. I think it's great for the people that are part of the project. I think it would be great for Christian Pulisic. But for others, I do wonder if if uh, if they're looking for an exit too, knowing that this could be a multi-year project before you're actually competing mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for for a trophy again. And by the way, for all of you newbies, make sure you hit that like button. That sends this thing out into the algorithm uh, ethos it, that it. helps people find it and put it right in front of them so they can join this conversation as well. Um, we're going to take a quick break, Jimmy. And if you're listening to this in podcast form, we'll be back with you in a moment. If you're watching this on YouTube, stay right here. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Jimmy, we've covered a lot of ground so far, man. Lot to talk about. Exciting times. You know what's fun, though? Having our USMNT hour after a U.S. win versus Mexico. It makes everything (laughs) a lot easier because the comments that come in tend to be a little less... um, just uh, pointed, you know, people are here for, for the conversation. Um, but let's talk, let's talk about Canada versus Mexico. Let's do it. Yes, Jimmy. I know this is the USMNT hour, but this game is massive implications for Greg, for you, for I, for everyone involved and, and, and getting to qualification and being in the top three. So I just want to get your, your take on, on a, on a few, uh, select topics as well as the people in the comments, send us in your thoughts on these as well. Mm -hmm. Chicharito's exit, his Mm -hmm. exile, from the national team. Um, do you think that there is some merit to getting him back in? He ended up finishing the season very strong with the LA Galaxy. He's obviously a legend of the Mexico national team. They That bit of energy, if you go back and watch, we, we had that, I think it was the sizzle that came on just before we started our, our pre-CBS uh, Sports HQ show where it showed the Vela, the Vela Chicharito connection on the field with the national team. Um, do you think that there is an opportunity for that or are we just like, kind of blowing smoke right now about something that means nothing. And, and if not, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you think is missing from this Mexico uh, attack that other than a couple of counterattacks don't look like the Mexico that we saw in the summer where they're cutting in, driving in combination play where you always feel like we're a step behind everything. I mean, what's going on, Jimmy? It's a good question. And I want to reiterate something that we've heard throughout our playing careers where, and this is really helpful. I think you're never as good as you think you are with the hype saying, and you're never as bad as, as all the negativity, right? It's somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle. And if you can kind of look at things unemotionally, you can get to a little bit more of the heart of the issues. With regard to Chicharito, 17 goals in 20 games for the Galaxy, five goals in his last five, I think six in his last seven as the Galaxy were trying to make that last stand. I, what I really liked about his performances at the end was that he put the team on his shoulders and said, I'm going to lead us to the playoffs. Now, they fell a little bit short. And got a little unlucky because the referees swallowed their whistle in Kansas City against Salt Lake. Bigger conversation for another time. But get it together, referees. They might have done it, right? And Galaxy could have been in the playoffs. So we could be talking about Chicharito leading the Galaxy in a much different way. And you never know which version of Chicharito you're going to get. With regard to his inclusion, I don't think he starts. But to your point, because Raul Jimenez is such a presence and in a much different way than Chicharito. But when you bring on Funes More in the game and, and you took out Tecatito at that point. So you're bringing on a second forward ultimately to play up high with, with uh, Raul Jimenez. They're kind of the same type of player and, and to have some contrast 
to have someone who sniffs around the box like Chicharito would be nice, frankly. I, I'm mm-hmm. quite surprised that Tata Martino has taken such a hard stance on Chicharito. I, I get the sense that it almost feels personal. So I don't know if there was something that happened behind the scenes or, you know, maybe Tata's one of those coaches where FMF, the, the Federation for Mexico, is, oh, you got to play Chicharito. And, you know, his first thing about I'm in control here is like, Chicharito will never play for me or whatever, whatever drama. Well, I think it's just like with Vela, where you don't get to pick and choose when you get called to the national team, right? It's an honor to represent right. the national team. If you're fit right. and healthy, you go in and you play, and 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 then you you be part like you're part of the system, or you're yeah. not part of the system, which which I totally understand. And and to have those a different dynamic of forward, and I know that Chucky Lozano should have scored. I know that they Tecatito uh, should have scored, or at least put it on frame. Um, but I, I still look at it as an opportunity when you look at that game and say, but it wasn't like they were creating a ton of chances outside of that. You know, those were, those well, were really great buildups and not to sure. say you should have more chances than that, but Mexico that we've always known is one that you're like, you said, you got to defend like hell. You got to fight like hell. You got to get a little bit of luck. You got to make a couple huge saves or yeah. a couple big plays and you can beat Mexico. But like, normally it's all of those things that you go up against and it didn't feel like that, uh, for Mexico. Now they're going to face Canada that has arguably the most informed attack in 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 CONCACAF mm-hmm. right now and with Alfonso Davies having played up top next to Jonathan David I mean that's a pretty lethal uh, uh attacking duo with Kyle Aaron coming off the bench with Cavallini coming off the bench with um Ugbo coming off the bench who made his debut grew up in the Chelsea system and then plays at uh Gank mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. like you have a lot of quality players that Mexico is going to have to play if play against uh on the defensive also, side also like minus eight degree weather so that'll yeah. be interesting for both sides I'll jump in and say really quick, that was on the attacking side of the ball. In midfields, Hector Herrera was started, uh, Romo started, and they had Edson Alvarez, who's done awesome for Ajax, but they haven't been a single pivot, and he had to cover a lot of ground. So if Canada has to, if Canada actually watches the game, I'm sure they will, how did the U.S. effectively run midfields? And it was trying to create overloads on Edson Alvarez, who had to cover more ground than then I think he's suited for. They would have been better in a double pivot, frankly, to kind of slow down Musa and to slow down McKinney's runs, especially in the second half. And they just didn't do it. And I think our adjustments were a little bit better than theirs. And we just cleaned our game up a little bit. When I look at their back line, you had Johan Vasquez, only his third cap ever, started against the U.S. Uh, Dominguez is okay, but is he your first choice? Eh, Maybe depending on the opponent. Chaka Rodriguez, who was out there eye-gouging Brendan Aronson. That guy just... he, He... there's some element of his game. I understand why he's with the Mexican national team, but then he dabbles in the dark arts of defending and he's a liability for me. And I don't necessarily trust his defending. And then also Gallardo on the left side, their back line was weak. You get Hector Moreno, Araujo was out due to a red card. You get guys that are just a little steadier. And I think that tightens things up a little bit, Heath. And I think you would have seen a team that was better in transition because they're playing the balls better because they're just better players with the ball. And that allows everybody to take what? Five more yards up the field. But that five yards is so crucial. So if Mexico can establish that, I don't know who's healthy and who's not and who's going to be able to start for them, but they're going to get absolutely crushed by that counterattack from Canada. And and they knew that because when they played at Estadio Azteca, it was 1-1 and they pushed Alfonso Davies up high, John Herdman did for the coach of Canada, because he knew that would pin that back line, which isn't very fast back. And they'd have to, they'd have to drop off a little bit. And when they dropped off, that opened up pockets of space underneath. So it's really important for Mexico to try to establish some type of flow rhythm higher up the field, but without necessarily keeping them too vulnerable in the back. It's a tricky time, I think, for Mexico, because I don't think they have all their best players available. And that 
is going to be tough because this Canada team can taste it. I, yeah. I think they can really sense that this is a time where Mexico looks a little vulnerable and they're under so much pressure from the media. But again, if we look at it, we take the emotion out of it. There's on the same amount of points that we are. Mm-hmm. They probably need 11, 11 to 14 points out of their next seven games, out of 21 available to be a lot of the points, to be honest. And that's at the end of, of the day, at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. And that's what Tata Martino is trying to emphasize. And we'll then we'll see who gets farther in the World Cup, right? Because that, you know, team changes a lot and attitudes and confidence change a lot in a year's time. 14 points, you'd be averaging two points per game. That's a lot. You're definitely qualifying at that. Even 11. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You, 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 11, you, you I think 11, 11 more points. So if they get yeah. 25 points is along with us, if you mm-hmm. get to 25 points in this Ocho, in the octagonal, then I think uh, you're going to book your ticket. Yeah. And Jimmy, two things there. One, I want to know what everybody's take is. I know this is USMNT hour, but take, I want your unbiased We wait CONCACAF hour. Uh, yeah. 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 Of who you think is going to win that game? U.S., Mexico, do you think it's, I mean, not U.S., Canada, Mexico, do you think it's going to be a draw? This is in Edmonton. It's going to be freezing conditions. I think uh, Mexico is somewhere in like Indiana or something training right now. I saw uh, I saw them training in like blizzard conditions, uh, <laughs> uh, getting ready for this. I don't know why. I think it's, I literally think they're in Indiana or something like that. I saw a friend of mine that works, uh, you know, on, on the uh, media side there. Somewhere very cold watching the team. So I think they're prepping for that game. But I want to know everyone's take. Give me an M for Mexico. Give me a C for Canada. I feel like I'm doing one of those uh, chants like defense. Uh, and then part two to that, Jimmy, was a way to say John Herdman's name wrong. Okay? You got it. You got it right with shows we're, we're doing. We're, we're growing here. We're evolving. On show. We're evolving. John Herdman for everyone. Uh, Jimmy and I had uh, unfortunately called him the wrong name for uh, most of our adult lives. And it wasn't out of disrespect. And he deserves to have his name pronounced correctly. And now we're doing that. So just a, a good moment for growth for us. And if you're just now tuning into this, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe and throw a comment in because uh, I'm let's, let's get Jimmy flustered here and turn um, on your notifications. Oh yeah. That helps too. So you don't that miss anything. Too. Yep. Cause uh, you know, if you're out hanging out, if you're hiding under your desk at work <laughs> and that notification comes in and say, what should I do under this desk? Well, guess what? You got a live show now uh, to tune into when you're hiding from your boss. Jimmy, is this the <laughs> best? Is, is that result for the U S the best uh, result uh, from a U.S. men's national team perspective? Was there another one in this, in this qualifying camp? Uh, can't, qualifying campaign specifically that you think was more important or big i mean obviously i think honduras is the biggest one given the context of uh, uh of everything like that we're, we're seeing some uh results here saying my heart says one zero uh to mexico but it, do you think the mexico game was the biggest or was there another one in there where you were like this is a turning point or a bigger moment or pivotal you know um because it's hard like you look at that you look at what the way honduras could have finished and you're like oh man we could be in a different we could be in a different world right now well, I would say the second half against Honduras probably stands out a little bit more because it felt like that was the moment where if it doesn't go well, we end up losing this game Honduras. We're coming out of that first qualifying window with one point, the draw against Canada, where we had the lead 1-0 and we gave it away. We had a bit of a listless performance against El Salvador in the first match day of qualifying. That would have been a little bit maybe like, a, okay. Maybe a different coach too. That yeah, maybe. maybe Greg, out yeah, you're at that point, that. like maybe Greg Berhalter isn't the guy. You know, he mm-hmm. he had all this time. He'd been plenty of time to prep and and had a whole summer of two different squads to figure out what was the best way forward. And maybe he's not the guy. I think in terms of pivotal moments, that second half, a, a, addressing addressing all the 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 mistakes he made in that starting lineup and and making those changes right away was a growth. We're talking about growth, a growth moment for him. And then also the team just kind of coming alive and, and playing free and actually showing us what they're capable of when they're full of confidence and, and it feels like they're running downhill. It was tremendous. 
And then, and then, sorry, and then you have on the flip side with regard to this result, we already beaten Mexico twice this summer. So we still needed to have a good performance, but I didn't feel like it was as make or break. Like we could have dropped the points and, and Greg is still in charge, but had he lost to Honduras on that third match day? Yeah, that could have been, that could have been curtains for him. So I think that feels the biggest. What about you? Yeah, I agree. It's hard, right? From a personal standpoint, if you were to do the Dosicero in isolation, you'd say, quite frankly, the U.S. should beat Mexico at home. That's sort of the point. That was sort of the tradition, right? In these mm-hmm, games, mm-hmm. when the dos- you went, that's where Dosicero came from. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But when you look at the ability to bounce back after a really tough first half in Honduras being down to perform the way that they did, I think gave them life, right? And you look at the progression there of Canada average, El Salvador average. But like, okay, uh, there's a point there. Okay, there's a point that we're, we're we're growing, we're learning something. And then you see this tanking performance to see them bounce back and go, okay, we can do this. We can win games on the road. We can be difficult. I think one is bigger than the Mexico game because uh, yeah. again, I expect them to beat Mexico. But two, now you're going to uh, now you're going down to Jamaica with a different belief system of one, staying in games late even if you're down. And I think there's there's something to that. But two, knowing that there are points on the road for you and potentially even three points on the road for you, which we struggled with in the 2018 cycle or the, or the, 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 the horrific nature of which uh, the U S went about the, the 2018 cycle. So uh, I think, I think that Honduras game uh, is probably the biggest for me. Although when you add the Mexico to a summer of Mexico's it's historic in its own ways, it's massive. It's huge. I'm proud of the group for the performance that they put out, uh, but I'm still going with uh, Honduras. Yeah, no, no, we're on the same page. And and I agree with that. I I think that this is an interesting match just to get, kind of bring it back to Canada, Mexico really quick. I saw some, some things there. Well, I guess when I, when you brought up Burhalter or we were talking about it, like, what do you do with Tata Martino? And I wonder if he loses to Canada and maybe if it's as listless as it was against the U S and you can, they just didn't really have a lot of answers. Didn't finish their opportunities when they did. I, I wonder what's going to happen to Tata Martino. And I, and I fear they might do something rash when I think he's still the best guy for the job. That's, Man, that's there. I, I think, insanity, I think Canada might though. get the result though here. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, Canada could get, I, and I think they, 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 I, I think they're probably the favorite at this point, especially playing in Edmonton. Well, and let the me way see what the bookies playing. say. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. I, I want to know what the bookies are saying, but it's insanity, to, insanity to me to think that Tata Martino, yeah, you'll be finished third in 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 qualifying, but you're behind Canada, you're behind the U.S. Like you're still a, it's still an automatic qualification spot, and that's the hard part for me through this whole process is is we're looking at through these lens that Tata Martino got his first loss in qualifying, right, and he, mm-hmm. now he's four two and one um, in qualifying, same as the U.S. four two and one, and if he were to lose this, he, he could potentially be. That would put everyone on 14, level on 14 points, wouldn't it? If the U.S. didn't beat Jamaica, if the U.S. lost to Jamaica, they'd all be on 14 points at the top of the table. Uh, like, it's a weird bar, imaginary bar uh, that we'd be setting for for Mexico or even Greg Berhalter at that point had, had, had things not gone his way, that you're still in an automatic World Cup qualifying spot with plenty of games to go, but they don't believe that you're the right man for the job moving forward. Mm-hmm, I think that would be... Mm-hmm. But we've seen before, there's, there's plenty of rash decisions that get made uh, in, in managerial situations, especially when there's pressure. So I know. Well, Mexico actually the slight favorites with the really? bookies. Yeah, they're plus one thirty eight or one and a half to one. Canada's closer to two to one at plus one eighty eight. I, I, Alfonso Davies to score anytime is three to one. I'm kind of looking at that. I feel like I he's like going to show up. I honestly think he's going to show especially up. Especially he's playing up top. And he's growing. He's he's playing in his hometown where he grew up in Edmonton. You know, like yeah. he's going to want to do it. Didn't do it in the first game against Costa Rica. 
but uh, maybe he's saving his best for Mexico. Uh, I might, I actually might put a little scratch on that, everybody. Like 10 bucks. Like, let's not get crazy, okay? Just like yeah. $10. You know, Jimmy, when you and I were building our CONCACAF 11s, I was looking at all the defensive side of Canada because I just look at them on paper and I go, ah, not that convincing as a back line, <laughs> right? And then you look at what they win this last, who, uh, they won 1 0, right? Costa Rica, this, that's right. Yeah, 1 0. Another shutout for this team. And I go, okay, it's Costa Rica, it's whatever, but they're consistently good and they're rotating their squad. You and mm-hmm. I both mm-hmm. had players that didn't even start in that game in our in our CONCACAF 11. Um, I had Alistair I Johnson. I think you had. Um, Donnell Henry, right? As, yeah, as, I mean, as a I, yeah. That one. I was just as like, I'm going to pick. But they're like rotating. You, you got to pick one. But they're 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 rotating all these guys, and they're continuing to get results, which you know goes beyond a little bit of the bias that I have towards. Oh yeah, the defenders they play in MLS or whatever. Um, I should be giving them more credit, more respect. That I feel like the bookies are doing the same thing with with them right now, just looking at it, going like, well, that attack against that defense, like Mexico yeah, right. has to be the favorite. Um, but they've been good, and so you got to give them credit. Yeah, they're the best defense in. CONCACAF tied with us four goals against in seven games. Mexico's got five goals against. I think what's most impressive is Costa Rica, who've only scored four goals, but they've only given up six in seven games. They just can't hit the back of the net, which is going to be gloom and doom for them as they try to look to qualify. Other big matches, though, that we should just, we should get into really quick mm-hmm. is Panama-El Salvador because El Salvador would be doing Panama, uh, or excuse me, everybody else, a, a great service because Honduras blew it by giving up three goals in 15 minutes uh, when they were up 2-0 in Honduras this last match day. If El Salvador can now go to Panama and get a result, or a win in particular would go a long way. But a draw, I think everybody would be happy with a draw because it makes it a little bit yeah. more chaotic. If Panama win and El Salvador is on six, Jamaica's on six and we beat Jamaica and Costa Rica loses, then all it's just there's just the haves and the have-nots. It's kind of curious. Yeah. I know we talked about this a little bit on the preview, but... Well, that's why uh, you want Panama. My, my that's eyes why you are want. on this Panama El Salvador game, man. It's, yeah. it's going to be exciting. That's the biggest game for me as well. And and I still believe this, that El Salvador have been the most hard done by just results in this, mm-hmm. where they dominated. They they were the better team against Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the better team in a number of their games so far in qualifying. In terms of creating goals, like bonafide goal-scoring opportunities, not necessarily possession in the run of, run of play, but the better chances and more chances in the game and they haven't gotten out of these with with enough points. And I think eventually, and we talked about this with Jamaica, eventually they're going to round the corner and they're going to punish somebody, right? And it's all going to fall into place for them, uh, both defensively and offensively, and they're going to close out a game. I think this is one that they could do this in the way that they match up well with Panama. Obviously, both of those teams very good in transition, and it'll be a matter of who's going to sit in a deeper block, who's going to mm-hmm. press higher. But I like I like El Salvador's opportunity uh, to, to, to finally zero, put a stamp on it. It was 0-0 zero, zero in El Salvador, if I'm not mistaken, between yeah. those two. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's my take good. on that. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's interesting. And you know, Costa Rica can't score, then that's the way it goes. And and without Keeler Navas, they're still doing okay defensively, but they don't have anything going forward. And then Honduras, I don't know what the hell's going on with Honduras. They're so good in the first half and absolute dumpster fire in the second half. So yeah. rest in peace to their World Cup hopes. They have to basically win every every game from here on out. <laughs> it is weird. I've I I've I I've started associating Honduras with the World Cup now and to see how far they've sort of fallen. And it's not a matter of like not being in good spots. Uh they've been in really good spots in games and then just have crumbled in the second right, halves right. while the US is coming to life. And it all comes back to that US second half game where Honduras were actually decent. Uh, they were decent against Canada yeah. uh, earlier on. They were they were okay, and then they just literally realized like one shaky moment, and the whole thing comes crumbling down. 
But um, Jimmy, any any closing closing thoughts on our USMNT hour? I know we covered everything. Obviously, it's Concacaf related. Yeah, it's less so I about mean, the players at their clubs right now. It's I, about I, camp. Yeah, of course. No, no, I love being respectful to all the countries that are playing in this region. I think it's important to shine some light on them too because they have some really talented players, and and they're going to be opponents of ours at some point. So we got to keep tabs on them. All right, everybody. But uh, I'm absolutely buzzing for tomorrow. Make sure you join us for our live recap after the game. Come here, turn on your notifications, hit like and subscribe so you can get in here and we can have your raw emotion. You'll get our raw emotion as well. It's going to be a raw emotion party. And that should be fun. And I'm curious to see who we roll out, as always, and how we play, of course. And I want to see how Jamaica does with this desperation because if they don't win this one, their World Cup hopes could be done. So it's going to be a very uh, fascinating and I assume a very intense game. Well, if any sample size was enough for Miko Antonio playing only 17 or so minutes gets his goal, yeah, uh, he's yeah. definitely going to be a threat Pretty against good. the U.S., especially in the form that he's in. But everyone, stay tuned to the Kegel Also podcast and YouTube feed all week because we have so much more in store for you as it relates to Tuesday's game in Kingston, the November window as a whole, as well as the return to domestic league action. There is right up there on the screen, we've got USMNT Hour live every Monday at 4.15 p.m. Eastern time. That's 1.15 uh, Pacific time. We've got the live recap after the U.S. Jamaica game. We've got the November World Cup qualifying takeaways live on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Wednesday, or we got the weekend preview and betting tips, which is not live. That'll come out on Friday. And then uh, and then the, the weekend recap live on Sunday, recapping all the club team games again. So follow K Golasso on Twitter at K Golasso Pod. Subscribe to K Golasso wherever you get your podcast and leave us a glowing review. As we said, you can say a bad comment, but give us five stars. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you smash that like button and subscribe to the channel. And until tomorrow, peace out from Jimmy and I. Later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.